spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins where it all came from since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label Hi, it's Andy Ann from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys andy n spoken label back in the house on a sunday evening got a very special podcast today with me and a lovely lady as well who i met for the first time actually Ooh, a couple of weeks ago and it's quite interesting this because i'm um, this young lady and I at the moment, who've got a music project on the go at the moment, and we've not had to decide on a name on it yet, so we'll have to sort that one out another day. Now, the lady with me is Pollyanna, and she's living in the Huddersfield area at the moment, but I know she's not from there originally, and I've forgotten, true to form, where she's originally from. So, Polly, obviously, we've got plenty to go through today, because I know you're like, you do as much projects as I do, and that says a lot. So, Tell people obviously a bit about yourself first of all, where you originally come from and a bit about your creativity and we'll start from there. Great, thanks Andy. Yeah, um, so I was born in Oxford actually, um, but moved in my 20s to study visual arts in Manchester after already studying fine arts. Um, mm. I studied fine art in Southampton, um, did a bit of travelling like a lot of teenagers of the uh, <laughs> early 2000s um so I, I was one of the lucky generation that could do that and it was just about doable um and then yeah after doing my sort of I was part way through my fine art degree and I thought I'm not sure about this had mm. another year out went and ended up working in modern art Oxford saw the art world from the other side um met people like Tracy Emin and Jeremy Della whilst I was working at modern art Oxford as a gallery assistant um got a little bit put off the art world I'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> and and some of the pretensions around it but also got really immersed in some art and i met some actually phenomenal uh, sound and installation artists and it sparked something in me and i think that's where my love of experimental arts really begun um that year in oxford working in that gallery so and also did a little bit of dabbling in running of a bookshop <laughs> oh did you oh wow yeah did a wow. bookshop as well so a bit of that a bit of the wheeling and dealing um classic really how i've always managed to get through life and then i i think i exhibited some photos i sort of dabbled a little bit in photography and and sort of wanting to be a photographer but realized it wasn't a realistic income stream for a 20 something that wasn't actually 
a professional photographer and I didn't have a dark room. Um, so I went back to school, back to uni, went to Salford, studied design management for the creative industries at the University of Salford for a year, wow. just under a year. Then I went, oh, I'm not a business person. <laughs> I, so could imagine, business I couldn't imagine you doing that, Pod. That honestly, like it's, yeah, you're such yeah. a, people know you, Polly, aren't you quite a free spirit? And that's why you surprised me then. Yeah, I, I just, I, I wanted to have a job that could pay the bills, really. And I think it was one of those courses where they said, you know, you do this course guaranteed, you know, you're going to have an amazing role managing a team of designers and you'll, you know, basically not be living hand to mouth as a poor and starving artist. But I chose the, I chose that option in the end. <laughs> so I went back um, after that year and, and studied visual arts instead, um, which it was one of the only courses in the country at the time out of only three others i think that were doing sound art installation sculpture you could do you know 3d arts um, animation painting illustration time-based media you could do it all but you have to specialize part way through your degree so that's why i chose visual arts um and so i wound up actually committing to that one i finished my degree <laughs> um from Solvagini and then I, I sort of stayed in Manchester basically um worked various jobs got in fell into working in the charity sector because I wanted an ethical mm. job um I ran my first exhibition collaborative exhibition out of Islington Mill in Salford we yeah, um well. we kind of originated the top floor space as a space for up-and-coming artists who weren't funded who were kind of fresh out of uni and that space sort of incubated loads of other you know, postgrads and new artists after we left. Because when we joined Islington Mill on the premise that we would do a bit of bar work, <laughs> clean up the top floor, um, and just kind of help promote the mill, um, we actually got that space for free for six months from Islington Mill after put I put in a proposal and I worked with four other artists there. So the writing was happening this whole time. So I was experimenting with sound and. Um, visuals in combination the whole time I was at uni I did a lot of field recording I went I got really interested in the idea of psychogeography uh, and situationism so like looking at our relationship to environment and how that shapes us but also how we shape the environment and like the symbiosis of that got really interested in um, DIY and kind of punk um, sort of like the early version of that the very early version of that, which was kind of like Paris in the early 1900s, um, urban exploration, the idea of taking back public space from private ownership. So the fact that we can't really walk the streets in a city without feeling we have to be a consumer. If you sit down, you could get told, you know, you're loitering, you can't really find space unless you're spending money. So I got really interested in the concept of reclaiming space. And I was really interested and in, inspired by Morag Rose, who runs, um, the Loiter's Resistance. Oh gosh, um, I forgot the full name. Um, yeah. But she she is um, an academic and writes beautifully as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of thinking a lot about how we interact with our environment. And as somebody that grew up in a tiny sleepy village in Oxfordshire on the border, actually in Buckinghamshire on the border with Oxfordshire, I had a really sheltered life. I had a very narrow upbringing. I would say in some ways, but I was exposed to a lot of culture thanks to my parenting from my mum as mainly a single parent. She was always reading, she was always playing piano, she was always creating, she was making artwork, she was making things, she used to make shoes, clothes, sewing, everything, paintings, poetry, she would write. So I think my mum's influence um, really instilled this sense that 
even though I had this constant conflict about what is the value of art, what's the value of making something, which I still have, like on the one hand, it's just the self-indulgence and it can feel not narcissistic, but it can feel like I'm kind of going a little bit too far, you know, um, into what serves me and not what is it contributing, you know, to others. Um, but I've, I've, you know, wrestled with that always as somebody that's creative, um, especially in a world that tells you, you know, you have to be productive, not creative, I guess. Um, or that creativity is only worthwhile when it can be commodified and sold. <laughs> so yeah, that yeah, was what I was really wrestling with. Um, yeah, and then I think being in Manchester um, for nearly 15 years, working in the charity sector, knocked a bit of the stuffing out of me creatively. I was working the kind of jobs that were quite intense, where your job really does become your life, you know, as a uh, environmental justice campaign coordinator for a large NGO um or one of the the largest environmental justice ngo i think globally still they can claim that title um and i absolutely loved every minute but it was the most challenging role um i'm working on issues like housing justice organizing you know um movements well renters collectives really to to start to change the shift shift the power balance in the favor of the tenant as well as you know speaking truth to power about the issues surrounding uh, people who are vulnerably housed and you know, I guess being, I would class myself, being a millennial, um, I would class myself as um, a precariat. So whilst, you know, there's aspects of my life that seem quite comfortable, um, I've always lived paycheck to paycheck because I have a chronic illness, I have an invisible disability, um, I suffer chronic pain, I live with um, an illness called myalgic encephalitis or chronic fatigue syndrome. As it's yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I, I know. When we first got talking, obviously, people wondered obviously earlier in the year, and it's quite a good story how we got talking originally because I I saw you over at I'm doing uh, one of the live shows at Word Central, and I remember reaching out and I really enjoyed your work, and you just sent me over. I remember at the time. I was um, a couple of your pieces, didn't you, to read, and then some audio one. That's where we got talking a lot. And yeah. I remember the time you told me about the chronic fatigue thing, and then because I, I knew about that because I've got a friend who I'm not going to name here, and I've told you about suffers in the identical same condition as you. Mm. And obviously Amanda has the same. So, yeah, it's like it's... When did you first find out about this, Andrew? Was it quite a recent discovery about your chronic pain? Or was it something no, that blown up? I, I mean, I was diagnosed at 15, but I would say I had it possibly. Um, it manifested as um, like a really chronic problem when I was 15 years old. And it made a massive impact on my early life because I couldn't, I couldn't really integrate and do the things that a lot of my peers were doing because... If I did an activity, I'd be bed bound back then. So there was a turning point of it when I was about 16 when I saw a specialist and they said, you just have to go to school. Even if you're feeling terrible, you just have to try and go to school because you're going to become sociophobic and we're worried you'll end up wheelchair bound because there were times where I'd be out of action for weeks and weeks and sometimes running into months. And I did do a lot of my studies from bed. Um, so I'd be one, I'd maybe go into school for one or two weeks and then I'd be like one month out. So it was almost like every two weeks I'd do something. I took four weeks to recover. Okay. So it, it was a pattern when I was in my early teens, that was a very, I would say a very rough time, but it was actually harder once I was in my twenties and I was trying to be independent. Um, cause I went off to uni at 19 and at one point or another, I think I nearly had a physical collapse cause I was just, you know, my muscles in my body and my immune system were just, uh, 
screaming at me. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. you can't do what you can't do what everyone else does. So it was always difficult because it was an incredibly isolating illness. And I think that's why writing was a balm for the pain. Um, and I think writing in a way has been one of the few avenues of like immediate artistic expression where I can just express myself quite quickly. It's like an overflow. Sometimes it's like the floodgates can open and I can let a bit of, you know, let off a bit of steam, but also I can let my subconscious roam free for a bit and just stop holding everything in and trying to be strong. Um, you know, cause I think it's difficult with um, something that's invisible. The externalizing of emotion through writing is one way of creating that visibility that I felt like I was living as a shadow you know, at times I was kind of a shadow of the self I knew I could be if I was well, but I was also kind of like on the periphery of everything because of my energy being so compromised by the illness. Um, and the sort of what you would call sort of energy fluctuations, because it's um, with an energy limiting chronic illness, it's not linear, it changes your up and down and like, there's no real necessary triggers. Sometimes I could just had a walk and then the next day I'm I'm unable to get up you know um yeah. but these days it's a lot better I teach yoga and I've kept coming back to Chinese medicine and alternative methods of healing um though recently I had a course of antibiotics which have knocked me out for the best part yeah. of uh, this month <laughs> yeah you did, you did tell me about that yeah, uh, yeah no, tell us about this book tell us a bit more about this Chinese medicine then and it's all Tell me a bit more about this Chinese medicine and you're about this. Yeah, so I would say that um, I'd recommend to people who haven't tried it, always try it, but obviously with the caveat that every single body and immune system is different and every person's reaction to having a chronic illness is different. But the only thing my body really did respond to well, and I, I noticed an immediate reduction in symptoms and improved the quality of my life, no end. Uh, I wouldn't have got through uni actually without um, having traditional Chinese medicine. So I had acupuncture, through my university at the time, I don't believe they do it anymore, sadly, at um, a discounted rate as a student. Um, and I also used to go and have Chinese herbs administered and a thing called moxa, which is like, I think, Chinese mugwort where they do uh, acupressure sort of um, heating. So they'll put a needle in a specific pressure point in your body that corresponds with an organ or an energy channel. So like kidney meridian is the channel that affects the kidneys, for example, and I had lots of problems with my kidneys. Um, and there were times I was actually on medication for my kidneys as well, because they just weren't wanting to work. Um, and so having the, the pressure points sort of oh, activated um, and heat, heating the needles with moxa smoke um, cleared the channel and then the energy could flow better. The What they call kidney chi, which is like the, it's almost like the electrical current that go, you know, corresponds to that pathway in the body. Um, and so when those pathways get blocked or the current's not flowing properly, then, you know, you, you like a, like the circuitry is off, right? Uh, and I see a lot of chronic illness as, as that. I think the reason things like yoga and Tai Chi and acupuncture and acupressure work is because they treat the body as a holistic and en energy being. Um, you know, we are, we are comprised of energy, you know, and, and I think there's so much out there that we don't understand. Western medicine, unfortunately, treats the symptoms. It doesn't you know, do more than that. And if anything, it gives you side effects that become new symptoms, which is um, my body responds very badly to Western medicine most of the time. I've never had a good experience really with it. Um, I would say even that my condition probably got worse because I was oversubscribed with um, broad spectrum antibiotics, which I think probably wrecked my uh, 
my own body's immune system and also my ability to absorb nutrients, you know, because they kill all the good bacteria in your stomach. So, yeah, I had some really um, testing sort of formative time with um, chronic illness and still still do. Uh, you know, I consider it one of those uh, crosses to bear, which we all have. But I consider it a blessing, not a curse, because it makes me grateful for when I don't feel ill <laughs> or as yeah. ill. Um, I'm really empathetic for those, for people who suffer any kind of, you know, um, disability or illness. I just have a, so much empathy and understanding and I don't think I'd be that person. I think I'd be a very different person now. I probably would be that cutthroat business manager by now if I hadn't grown up with this illness. I'd probably be rich. But... I think I probably would be as well, so <laughs> I know what you mean there with that. Not so. rich. <laughs> rich in happiness and life, right? It's a better way to put it, yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree with you because it's, I think when you've got a major health condition, like, you know, obviously I'm, di I'm diabetic, so, like, a lot of it is everything I do, I plan out. And it makes, when I got this 10 years ago, in your case, you've come back much further than me, is when you get this sort of illness, mm. it makes you more grateful for what you can do with your life. And I think it focuses in a few ways. That's why. Like, I know on a different note, obviously, like, I think this is what I've had interest in. Well, is like, obviously, when obviously we got talking me in the year, you'd just set your own podcast up, hadn't you? Well healed. Now, I know you're going to go back to that along the line as well. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that then. Cool. <laughs> um, so I, I had the idea for Well Healed about four or five years ago, and I didn't do anything with it. Um, I can get a bit stuck in a rut when it comes to how I use the internet. Um, I didn't listen to podcasts enough. I, I tended to be very a habitual internet user, you know, the kind of person that watches their soap operas, but I'm that with oh. the internet. <laughs> you know, I go on the same old boring website, I do the same old boring thing. And then someone was like, why don't you start a podcast? And I was like, that's a really great idea. A friend of mine in lockdown 2020 said, let's do this podcast thing. We didn't end up doing it. And then I was like, I'm just going to do it, go it alone. So I, I set up Well Healed, which is a play on word because healed as in healing not as in heels because i wanted to take the mickey out of the fact that a lot of the intersection between you know socioeconomic vulnerability and disability um is a really strong correlation a lot of us who we don't have if we don't have inherited wealth and security or we're not supported by our parents or our families or partners you know if you're living with a really chronic illness it means that you're probably pretty poor or struggling to earn money or have stability um so well healed was a bit of a play on that but also because it was a coming from a place of hope um because i think of healing as a constantly evolving process and i think of like every even a good hour where it's a pain-free hour or really lucid you know because it affects cognition as well my illness so you know it actively means the swelling of your brain stem so you know it can be cognitively really difficult to live with this illness you can feel a bit like um you're operating through a fog what people call brain fog but you know your your cognitive processing can be really um affected and your me mental sort of focus and energy i would say mental energy is a big one for me like if i've done an information intensive project or something then i've given away say all of my energy for that and i can't then go and do go to the pub and see my friends because i've you know, I've been doing that. So with the podcast, that became like this alternative space for me to find and connect with other people who understood where I was coming from, who would help me platform the issues I was dealing with. But also it was really sparked by what happened during COVID. Um, 
with the do not resuscitate orders where the government effectively enshrined a policy that would euthanize people in a way who were deemed not worthy of treatment because they were treated like subhuman i guess because they were sort of um classified as disabled now that could actually extend to people without chronic illness and sort of physical disability who would in no way be less likely to recover if they were given a ventilator and, and treated it when you know if covid advanced to the point where they were close to dying and they were denied treatment just because they were i don't know dyslexic or disabled in a different way if they were registered disabled the government was denying access to life-saving treatment at that point because there were not enough ventilators um so just seeing the social structure kind of really for what it was at that point I went okay so we are not only am I kind of a second class citizen because I'm a rentier I don't own property but I'm a third class citizen in a way because I'm also someone with a disability so you know if I had I needed to go into hospital be put on a ventilator it's very likely I could have been refused life-saving care um and the fact that there were people in ambulances who were the point of unconsciousness being asked about that who weren't in a fit state to respond um to me that's like a level of malicious sort of um eugenics that i never thought i would live to see happen in the uk um but you know the way politics are shifting um, i'm starting to believe that that's a, a global issue um but yeah it was pretty horrific and there was the whole thing about the way in which the vaccine was administered globally and the hoarding of the vaccine and you know PPE and just the, I think it revealed a lot of negative stuff around the state structure, the machinations of, of like social class and privilege. Um, yeah. And just the fact that people think they can authentically murder <laughs> um, others in, in the name of some kind of social stratification, you know, that one life is worth less. Um, my rage at that was the sort of point at which I went well if I don't start this podcast now when would I do it and I want to speak to others who have been living under I mean I did have a near collapse at one point mentally and physically during the sort of earlier stages of COVID and I know a lot of people went through a dark night of the soul <laughs> during oh, yeah. the lockdowns because a lot of people live pretty full lives and that's a great privilege that they had to temporarily suspend but for myself, I was like, well, this isn't that unusual for me having to shield in case I get sick or having to be mindful that I don't catch something going around. That's how I've lived my life since I was as long as I've really been mature enough to think about that. So for yeah. me, this is not a new territory, but seeing all these other people really pissed off, you know, at losing those rights, I thought, okay, try that for the majority of your adult life and your teenage years, and then you can come complain to me. Um, but you know, having experienced that I'm not some kind of martyr, I've just, that's how my life is. And, um, I think a lot of people maybe misinterpret their privilege and think it's something that, you know, it's a human right to be able to go out and do all these things. And like, why should I have to wear a mask? So I was just seeing this side of humanity, which, you know, there was so many other great things happening, like mutual aid. And I think on a community level, a non-political level on a community level, COVID revealed so much and like also on a global community level like you know I ended up making art zines with people all around the world and uh, you know I ended up you know communicating with people in all these different countries throughout COVID to kind of 
find that solidarity and that virtual community. Um, and I think the need for community is the main reason why Well Healed um, needs to happen, um, but also the need to leverage our collective experience and, and our, our collective intelligence as people with names and lives and not just as these subhuman numbers that are completely uh, dispensable, you know, that my life yeah. is just worth nothing to the state. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree with you completely. And like it's, I think over lockdown, it's shown the good sides and the bad sides of people. And the bad side is, is I agree with you completely what you're saying there. And like it was, you think like, I don't, I, I don't want to have told you this, but obviously the day job I do, they sent me home back at the beginning of March 2020. And I remember this well. Telling me at the time, we're going to keep paying you full pay, not furlong you. Let ring us up once a week to let us know you're still alive. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm basically I've just left you on devices for six months. Well, they got really? work to me. Yeah, it's crazy times it was. And then like Amanda's, Amanda's obviously work completely dried up almost overnight doing the freelance work, and the pair of us sort of sat there just basically trying to stop each other going crazy for six months. And he does this like. I'm I'm sort of person who switches myself off a lot of the time. I can do, but I'm also very active. But it was still basically being told this week you applied to a podcast. I couldn't leave the house to sit for three, four months. Couldn't go near people. Yeah, just yeah. crazy. I think I think the extremes that, in a weird way, sometimes I wondered if some of it was a bit of mind control with like the you know the only one walk a day thing because for people with mental health issues or physical needs to do more than one walk like you know for me if i don't move enough i get very depressed and my mood goes down but also i'm more likely to suffer muscle weakening because my muscle uh, strength goes really fast with my illness i've noticed that my muscles can kind of start to waste even in a few weeks so if you're saying to me i can only do a walk <laughs> you know what I mean? if, if you haven't got your home gym or you haven't got stuff to like really keep fit this the implications for a lot of people were huge and it was stuff like that where i thought is that being designed to piss us off to the point when we turn on each other and we forget <laughs> yeah no <laughs> some of it's... it did feel like divide and conquer didn't it they were like yeah, it's like a definitely. mind game definitely there was some very very strange things going on at that time whether it was intended or not, and I think it's open to debate that to you, honestly, I must admit to you. Uh, personally, I, I wonder. I don't, we'll just talk about that another day. So <laughs> well, that's not, we're yeah. on that. not let's just on. let's just change topics anyway. So now obviously I won't tell people obviously next, obviously. Now we're looking at obviously we're gonna have to I want you to read some yeah. pieces after us today. Now I want to look at where you, where do you envisage your creativity going next then? Because I know you want to get your podcast going up again, don't you, later in the year. What I'm also, of, and we've got our own our project ongoing at the moment, yeah. which we'll talk about another day, really, in a great deal of depth. But where else do you see your creativity going next? Um, I guess I've been thinking a lot about my, so I'm self-employed as a yoga teacher and I'm just finishing a, a kind of a nightmare mm. situation with a contracted role, um, which I was really enjoying, but then workplace discrimination kicked in and managerial bullying once I got ill and then all of a sudden I'm, public enemy number one because I have this illness that I've not shouted from the rooftop so I think now I've got a bit of space um I'll have more time no money <laughs> I'll be rich in time and uh able to really focus back in on um 
producing what I'd like to do is self-published zines and maybe make a little chapbook of my own poems because I've been really inspired by how productive you are and one of my good friends has recently submitted poems or a poem to a central St Martin's show which oh, I've completely forgotten the name of it he only shared it with me today but I was so impressed with that he'd committed to something and seen it through because he's a writer that's very timid and like he made a joke about like I never finish projects and I thought I'm a bit like that I've got all these irons in the fire you know I'm I'm going to be recording another podcast in July I've got a couple of interviews in the pipeline for ones after that but then at the same time I know that the things I should be doing for me like I want to get all my poetry into a collection I want to illustrate my poems as well because I originally became an illustrator when I was at uni and then went into 3D and sound art. Um, so I'd like to go further with collaborations like the one we've got where I explore using mm. sound, soundscapes and poetry to create work and also bring in some visuals. I've got um, a collaboration, hopefully, fingers crossed, coming up with a filmmaker of mine, a friend of mine, <laughs> she's not my filmmaker, um, sorry, they're not my filmmaker, a really good friend at SB, and um, they they are a big part of the housing justice movement, and we met when I was community organiser, organising for renters' rights in Manchester, and um, we've spoken um, recently about producing a short film with some of my poems, but also talking about um, my experience of um, being discriminated against at, in the workplace and living as a person with a hidden illness who um, has to kind of carry that really um, and what that can be like. I, I kind of want to find a way to reach more people who are suffering in silence um, because they are hiding their illness or because they're misunderstood or maligned or victim blamed whatever yeah so I want to find ways to use my struggles I suppose and my own suffering to reach others and support them to be able to speak truth um and also feel seen yeah uh, yeah so yeah some short films in the pipeline and some I'd really like to just start producing like a monthly poetry zine where I ask for submissions from people and I put drawings in and I get artists to contribute you know photos and drawings because I did start doing that a few years ago and then it it went a bit by the wayside because I tend to be very self-defeating with my projects where I think oh, I can't really justify doing this I just need to think about the fact that I've got to pay my bills and that I've only got so much energy but actually those things can be really energizing so yeah a lot of it is I think is outside the form of me I'm diabetic so for a lot of it is is time management and you just yeah. learn learn to give your body that rest in between yeah. things a lot of the time and I think when you learn how to do that it's I think you've got a good chance of doing it like I said so no good luck but definitely yeah, that so but I would I would like very much for us to complete our our music project and I'd like to sort of find time to pick up my violin and my I've got a micro freak sort of little sort of synth it's very sort of compact and great oh. and I want to learn how it's like it's got keys it's like touch sensitive keys they're like not actual keys it's just um sen sensor pads but i really want to get to the point where i can mix my own tracks and make my own soundscape work because i really miss working with sound and when i was at uni i was doing a lot of um field recording and playing a lot with my own vocal like i did um a spoken sung and written version of a poem and then put it into a, a room as an installation and people could come up and then put the headphones on 
watch a short film, listen to the poem, then they could also read the poem in a book attached to a wall. Let's go for and read the poem. It was multiple poems. Read the poem. So how that would sound in their own heads, depending on how they, you know, absorb or narrate it in their own head. Um, and then obviously like the different formats through which we absorb media. We're sort of sort of speaking to the the power of the medium really, and the fact that you know when someone performs their poem, it can come across so differently from when you read it on paper. Can do, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I think there is an uneasy relationship between the spoken word and the page thing. And it is can be done in very, very different ways. And I agree. Good luck with it, definitely. Now, what we'll do, we'll wrap up this bit, but obviously, I want to get into some pieces for us today. So, now, yeah. Polly, if people want to find out more about you, where do they, where do you recommend that they go? Good question, because my website is still. Um, it's it's on a sabbatical no <laughs> you can follow me on facebook you can follow me on um instagram facebook you can subscribe to well healed um if you google well dash healed i think the podcast is on soundcloud where did you find it andy or was soundcloud it soundcloud yeah and i think i've also uploaded it other places but if i haven't i'm going to it should be on spotify and itunes soon you can find me as at h-i-c-l-a-m-o-u-r high clamor that's my instagram page where i just it's sort of more of a visual diary really at the moment but i intend to put my link tree updates in there so you'll be able to link to my podcast um any art projects or music and writing projects through that and uh, pollyanna rose on facebook separate three separate words pollyanna rose so yeah i do have to keep my accounts fairly private after some recent internet stalking. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Not. <laughs> by my employer. Yeah. <laughs> One of my employers, sorry. Um, but luckily I have um, I have another job that I really enjoy as a yoga teacher and work with a phenomenal charity called Umbrella Yoga and we teach yoga to additional needs communities or with additional needs communities, including people who are partially sighted or congenitally blind. Um, so yeah, it's a real privilege to be doing that work. And that's what's really kept me going this year, along with my writing has been uh, just working with communities and teaching yoga. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, Umbrella Yoga is another place you can go. Um, well, good luck with it. Good luck with definitely, Polly. So now I will wrap up this part here for you. And we'll take a quick break, everybody. And we'll come back and we'll get Polly to do a few bits and pieces for us. So. <laughs> Been a pleasure today. I mean, it's great because I felt like I've got we've obviously like you don't always relate when you chat to people like on Facebook and stuff. When you meet them in person and then do a podcast after it, like you can really get to an idea of people like them sometimes more. So brilliant stuff. Okay, oh, just see you. see you one minute. Spoken Hi guys, yes, Andy N, Pollyanna. And this is the bit of the podcast I always like now. Over to Polly and she's gonna read out a few pieces. Go for it, my friend. Thank you, Andy. Um, this one is a bit of an experimental piece. Um, it's as though I was writing a play and I quite like to finish it. It's sort of a sample of what could be a play. It's called Makazeme, which translates from Slovakian into Mother Earth. And its subtitle is An Unwritten End because I didn't finish the, the mini play. And I also feel that that's sort of the point. Um, that our story hasn't finished yet when it comes to what's happening to our our mother planet and what we can do to change the ending if we try. So it's coming from a place of optimism 
It's a bit of an abstract poem, so I'll fire away. Enter stage left. Woman clad in clay colours, as though she has been through a mud flat or partly sunk under water in silt. Enter stage right. Man holding a broken flask with what appears to be liquid mercury or a molten substance in the cracked base. Both are staggering and looking in opposite directions. Until one sees the other and they take up conversation as though recommencing with the continuum of dialogue. She. And I would be flowing as the water does. He. But where and where again, I must ask you, where do the men go when they drown? She. They would be passing borders from life to death. He sounding mesmerised. Light to darkness, swollen waves rolling, me like a skittle beneath. She. Beyond old volcanoes and submerged cities, perhaps. He. Is it lonely when they cross over? Will there be new hills and landscapes to be traversed in ethereal bodies, like silver bubbles rolling down the whale's back? She. Nighttime lands forever. A soft demon. Feather downed in starlight with scriptures written upon the eyelids. With each blink a fortress falls. Under each curl of their lip a universal law is hung and billowing like a death flag it notes the ending. Without this ending Aruboros cannot have her meal of tail, cannot begin a new journey across that eternal valley. He but what if we just wade out to our wastes? She, we cannot rely upon the cantilever of lost bridges that drift like enormous bones beneath our feet. We can't call up shoals of looming basking sharks to swarm under our bodies when we trip upon these shards of emerald metropolis. He, but if we step out onto the dappled shores, there's a silvering moon that bowls the ocean back again. Doesn't Lady Gravity, her milky tropics, send us a rite of passage? Time's open mouth, between breaths, a shallow lull in the filling pools. Can we simply not wait for the gate to open like the drawbridge of a hell breath when the waves fall away like flesh from ripened fruit? She. We wander these shifting shores like harebells nodding in the wind, wafted and blown into every quarter until our sides nearly split with the merest banking breaker. There's no safety left except the silvering mire of her breathing. We speak her as a mantra, dipping our heads. Then she, her eye, an apple slice of rose smiling dawnwards, she has the power to grant or subtract this hope that we might find our footing, else be consumed, else we are emptied of our worth as another lost scroll under the endless surge of centuries. That's the short play that's a poem. Wow, <laughs> wow. That's really, really... That's 
quite, um, people <laughs> know your know. work, Polly. That's really, really, really different now. So, like, it's, tell us a bit more about the process, actually. You would have had to channel your brain to write that in a very different way to your other stuff I've read. Yeah, I just had, um, I can't remember, I think I was inspired by a song by FKA Twigs. <laughs> um, I can't remember which song it was by her, but she is, like, covered in... Um, clay red clay and mm. it's like the song is symbolic of rebirth and it's after she'd had a traumatic ending to some kind of romantic relationship and the, and the song is very much about like the the element of earth and blood because it's like red clay and sort of the connection to that but then i was also thinking and reading a lot about people crossing the channel um you know trying to seek asylum um who were in fear of persecution and death basically and and what was happening at the time with the government trying to paint those people as sort of economic um migrant immigrants and illegal immigrants you know when actually they are legal asylum seekers with a human right to seek asylum um in the uk so a lot of it was about that and like a memory of um somebody recounting the experience of um, witnessing or having close contact with someone who'd witnessed the deaths of people in the Mediterranean, including children drowning and a baby, um, and a mother giving birth at sea and then both of them being lost and just thinking about the atrocities of their death and how could I, and in the context of climate migrants and climate justice, people who are forced to leave their countries because the impact of climate the climate crisis is already rendering it impossible for them to continue their lives um and that the brunt of that impact has come from countries like the uk the us the biggest polluters who are the richest who have the most resources and this is the way we're treating those people so so it's a combination of things but in my head it came from this initial visual of fka twigs in this mud <laughs> and then the, yeah. the, the, this whole process of association that kind of came from that and what that that kind of visual because i've got a real visual um memory and so i was thinking about the visual that came into my mind when the guy was describing the death of this woman giving birth in the sea and um her and a baby drowning and like the horror the sheer horror and then like trying to hold that image in a in a way in, in like a memorial um through this play but but make it abstract as well and make it um soften it um, but also try and make it powerful and and i think i had this really strong image of like a shakespearean exchange between this woman and man who are faced with their imminent death trying to find a way to cope with knowing they're going to die yeah yeah because it's straight away that is really it's quite a it's a very very powerful piece you know, that's why so yeah no definitely i love what playing that back definitely so now i think you were just gonna do one more piece for us today weren't you on my not why i got it wrong so so we would better let you get that one done then before we run out of time here today <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, i'll have a quick look through i've got a few to choose from um with the recent changes to the law in the u.s around women's rights to having an abortion in missouri i've sort of oh, thought that this I believe that that was i've never read it that was just stunning in an awful <laughs> like a way the work that's been done has been undone you know all the i can't see a good i cannot see a good outcome there no no <laughs> um, definitely that is terrifying i've never i never thought you'd seen anything like what we've had now and that's rare me getting political with that it stunned me 
in yeah. worthwhile ways. I used to be very apolitical until I sort of became a campaigner and I'm still pretty apolitical because I get so angry that I can't function. <laughs> yeah, no, I was fair enough. It's so solving if, if you let it get to you, you can do more damage than good that can. So anyway, let's get on to this point for you, right? <laughs> okay, I'll try and hold on. Give me a second. I'm gonna I still haven't okay. I'm gonna select the one that we're working on together, um leaning over because you put some music to it and I really enjoyed the um Oh the yeah, yeah. Sound. Yes, I do. Shall I go? Oh sorry, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go. I can always I can always do some cutting anyway. Go for it. Okay, I'm ready. Um Leaning over the edge, heels back, legs stretched, the heart travels where it needs, eating cheap, tranches laden cacao reliquies, coated for the saddest chevaliers, pens uncapped, eyes shot, soaked blotting pads, isopropyl blown, mumbled to numbing, Turkish oratories, brown blocks beneath tongue and teeth, to melt sweet roses the heart feeds where it can. Delighted by elegance, in spiritus swills to spirals, even as dust, we are the simplest dance. The caudal honeys weigh and sheer, sticky embrasure dawn hums up Two bees sleeping inside a flower, fine legs feathered together. As the sweep of your hair hooked behind one ear sticks softly, tipped to the sound of cocoa blanching, grass hissing, melted sugar forms spindle nests, caramel summer heights the crest, the hollow brow of this once pendle famous mess of cars and history leans hard towers with elbowed women here a wing thrum there a span of thoughtfulness you tell me what makes you right my muscles contend with daylight's doldrums Wars are working over the stats for lately more masturbatory than usual MPs massaging each other's backs into appeasement. I thank nothingness for my savage aspirations. I want them all tossed into a well so deep they're past saving. Knowing that rage is twisting my myocardial incorporations of wilder time and woven sayings. I plait his hair and I chop fresh herbs that I have grown with my same grieving fingers that shriek at the sun. Let me be freed. Tremendous. I just, <laughs> no, I remember when you've people obviously. Don't want to go too much depth here. I said, but obviously, when you, it's a great thing we're working on this project. We used to have a piece over poly like that, and sometimes it's that piece that really hit me with that last line it did. And that's why I had a place doing that music for that piece as well. And that's tremendous, absolutely powerful stuff indeed. So I really enjoyed working with you on it. I think adding this, this sort of soundscape and adding music 
to them actually can really bring them to life in a different way. Yeah, uh, band I was with a couple of years ago, we used to do an acoustic band, and I just did the vocals, didn't do any music on it at all, that band. And the woman singer was with the band, and so I used to say, poetry sometimes can be a bit black and white or grey. Putting the music with it gives it a colour, or sound even sometimes as well, so... I like that. That's a good way of thinking about it. I really like that. Yeah, that's why it's been a pleasure with this project with so far. So I said, people, watch your space for that. We still haven't decided the name on it yet. We'll have to have like a little uh, brainstorming session. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get our partners together and all the four of us will work it out. That's that's story for another day, anyway. Anyway, Polly, it's been a pleasure today. Okay, so thank you. Good luck with your future projects and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Andy, for having me. Okay, guys and girls, that's it. So, to quote one of my other loves of my life that Polly doesn't know about American wrestling. So, as Don Callis says, I think it's formerly of Impact Wrestling anyway, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all next time. Spoken, mate.